All right, guys, uh, this morning I am with Corinne Gist, and we are going to talk about learning. Um, so I, I met Corinne through Kara. Kara um, and, and Corinne have worked together for a little while now, and she has a company called Fit Learning. And I was super interested to see how that's all intertwined. So again, thanks for joining us this morning, Corinne. And do you mind introducing yourself a little bit for, for everybody watching, listening? Sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, so my name is uh, Corinne Gist, and I am the owner and founder of Fit Learning Cleveland. So I am an affiliate of a bigger system. Um, there is a core learning lab out in Reno, Nevada, and New York has a couple, and then I'm an offshoot of them. So I use their curriculum and was trained by them and then opened this center about two years ago. In my um, background, I started in an undergrad in education. I then went on to grad school for school psychology and worked in a variety of settings, public school, day treatment centers as a school psychologist. And then during that time, I also got my certification as a board certified behavior analyst. So that is um, applied behavior analysis, which is really the behavioral science, the science of how people behave and how people learn. And I really enjoyed that, that role so much so that I kind of quit my life about five years ago and went, moved to Ohio State, got my PhD in behavioral science. And it was there that I found fit learning. So when I graduated, I moved back to Cleveland and opened my center. So how'd you find fit learning? And then what is this like aha moment where you're like, I'm gonna open one of these in Cleveland? Okay, great question. So we are an academic skill building program. So we fall under tutoring in that we're supplemental to the school day for most learners. We do have a few homeschool learners that come to us for multiple subjects, but we are typically supplemental to the school day. So kids go to school and then come to us. That is kind of where the similarities with other tutoring centers um, ends. So we don't do homework help. We are, our goal is to build up the students fundamental academic skills to a level that is fluent. So when they come in, I do an assessment and we are looking at all those basic fundamental skills you need to be successful in whichever subject area. So let's say they we're looking at mathematics. I'm starting with, do you know place value? Can you read numbers? Can you write numbers? And then we look at all the different multiplication and division, addition and subtraction and kind of work our way up. And the whole purpose is that we want the students, we want to make sure that there's no holes in those fundamental skills. So we are de developing a curriculum that's specific to that learner that's targeting the areas that they need. That's pretty interesting. So, and we had talked a, a bit previous to this, but why, like, what's, how does the word fit come in? Like, I hear some things like the principal stuff of foundations are like, well, you know, with strength training, right? You have to have certain you know, certain fundamental skill sets to be able to progress to the next skill set. And, and I kind of get that progression. Um, how's it fit into to the, the brand and, and the model? That's a great question. So we are talking about cognitive fitness. So that's where fit learning comes in. Um, and we are very aligned with teaching the way that sports coaches teach and that you learn a musical instrument, right? So we're working on those basic fundamental skills so you think about soccer and you go to soccer practice um, and regardless if you're professional or you're just learning, you're going to work on those fundamental skills. So passing, shooting, dribbling, being able to control the ball, all of that is worked on and not just are you practicing it so that you're accurate, but you're practicing it so that you're quick and you're able to execute it quickly and accurately and properly, right? So that's typical when we're thinking about sports, when we're thinking about music, um, when you're learning an instrument, you're practicing multiple, multiple days a week and you're working on those fundamental skills. Unfortunately, our academic system is not built that way. So in schools, there is more of a focus on content rather than on being confident in those skills. So what we see happen is that students never become fluent in their addition and subtraction facts which they should be in first, second grade. And then as they get into third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, they're doing multi-digit addition subtraction. They're getting into algebra. They have this cumulative disfluency because they don't have those basic skills. 
So now that's going to continue to hurt them as they as they grow. So what our job and our goal is, is to make sure all of those fundamental skills are fluent. So we do that by looking at rate. So how many can they do in a minute? And then by doing repeated deliberate practice that's then reinforced. So we know that's how everybody learns. Any habit is built, any behavior is learned. It's by repeated practice with it and then that being reinforced. So that's what we're doing, what we're doing here. So, so when you say like in the normal school system, it, it's different in what way, like, is it just because the school system is pushing out things to, to big groups of people and kind of come along for the ride or you don't, or is it the way it's actually like the curriculums developed, like the, the actual content itself? So it's both. Um, our school system really hasn't changed since it was developed over a century ago. Um, so there's a push on teach them more earlier. And so there's so much content that there isn't time to train certain skills to fluency. There's also issues with just the way we train our teachers. Um, they're not usually trained in behavioral science and the way of learning. So they're not giving the, this, the students aren't given the opportunity to practice the skills until they have them where they need to be. So you think about um, another piece is grade X um, when you move up a grade, right? So just because you turn eight doesn't mean that you have all the skills needed for first grade and you should go to second. So we're moving kids based on when they, how old they are, regardless of if they have those skills needed. So a little bit of what you were saying is kids are getting moved on before they have all those basic skills, but also we're not giving them enough time and practice and we're not teaching them in a way that builds fluency so that they can have those skills as they move up. And then COVID has obviously just escalated that times a hundred. COVID, COVID's messing everything up. Um, so it's interesting to me. I, I, you know, I don't live in the education world, so I guess I've never thought of it that way. Um, but like we've said with CrossFit, we've always wanted to create like a belt system, almost like karate, where you have to test out, right? Like you have to be able to do X, Y, Z, you have to do it fluently, and then you get the next belt. Well, in CrossFit, you're not allowed to do, you're not allowed to do a snatch until you show full overhead mobility and that you can do a squat uh, snatch balance and then you can do an overhead press and like you have those fundamental skills and then now you can do the next one right and you kind of build um and okay. i guess to a degree that's kind of happening in schools or no like it it's not happening in schools they're moving them on before they have those before they skills. before yeah. they have it so um you think about you know so when i opened fit i had what four degrees I um, found fit learning during my doctoral studies and the way they applied our behavioral science and then the with education just was an aha, like this is it. This is how everyone should be doing it. it kind of became a blessing and a curse because now I know how to accelerate kids and their learning, but it's driving me nuts that no, that other people aren't doing it this way. So trying to you know get the word out about how we do it. <clears throat> Um, but I, in order for anyone to be a coach here and work with our kids, they have to be fluent in all the skills. So we have years of research that show aims, meaning a certain amount of responses in a minute probably indicates fluency. And then we measure for fluency. So just because you hit aim doesn't necessarily mean you're fluent, but it predicts that you probably are. So we then say, okay, you did it for a minute. Can you keep up that endurance and do it for two to three minutes? okay, you, you know, we've been practicing this skill every day. We're going to not practice for a week, for a month and see if you can keep up that same rate. And then once you're fluent, you can now do those higher level skills. What kind, what kind of things are you talking about? Like, like you're saying you got to hit certain targets or whatever, like are we yeah, talking so math like, problems? Or are we talking word yeah. recognition? What is, what is everything, this? Everything. everything. So okay. if we're talking about math, so the aim for addition and subtraction is 50 problems in a minute. So we want our learners to be able to do 50 problems in a minute. Once they do, then we're looking for all these outcomes and we're saying, okay, great. You passed that program. You're fluent. We're going to move on to the next skill, but we keep coming back to make sure that that, that, that skill is retained. And they do because we have enough um, data and research to, to know where the students need to be. So when I opened fit, I was not fluent in my multiplication and division facts because it was just something that I 
had never trained a fluency. And so I was practicing who I have a niece who at the time was in second grade and we're sitting next to each other doing our multiplication and division so that I could be a coach because all of our coaches are fluent in everything we teach. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a, a big, it's a big fundamental problem. And had I known now what I, had I known when I was um, studying for the GRE, what I know now, my math score would have been significantly better. Um, that, I mean, I studied so much for the GRE and the math piece, and I'm trying to remember how to do these formulas when really what was taking me so long was the multiplication, division, and addition, subtraction that I was never fluently taught in. I am now, but I wasn't at the time. But yeah. the, the CrossFit connection is, that's kind of what got Karen and I talking so much. And then I took a kipping clinic at Seatown um, West with Coach Adam. And it, it was exactly what you're talking about, breaking it down. So we started with, um, you know, working on the floor and working on hollows and supermans. And then we worked on our grip. And then we worked on the shoulders before you put it all together. And so that that is how people in sports and in music teach and learn. Yet it, that has not that has not transferred over to how we teach academic skills. That's very interesting. What's the, what's the endurance piece? Like you mentioned, if you can do it in a minute, now can you do it for two or three? What, what's the science behind that? Yeah, so just making sure you can keep up the pace. So maybe not quite as important with math, but, um, well, I shouldn't say that. It is still important with math. But you think about reading. So a lot of the times when we're training word reading, we break it down by phonics skills. So we'll just do short vowel words, then we'll just do long vowel words, and then we'll do cumulative slices and build up from there. And then we do reading a story words per minute, and we typically train that around a minute. But if you can read 120 words in a minute, that's great. But if I give you five minutes and now you need to read a longer passage and your rate dips, right? Then you're not a fluent reader. We don't want you to be exhausted from reading. And if you are exhausted just from decoding words, then you're not able to comprehend what you're reading. So we do those longer periods of time just to check and make sure that you have that endurance for, for those skills. What's the physiology of that? Like, like if I have a runner that can't run, you know, a certain pace for 10 minutes and I go, okay, well, we need to be able to do X, Y, Z blood exchange, you know, whatever the, we got to work on this metabolic energy system so that you can clear lactic acid, use oxygen, right? Like we can go down that from a fitness side. Is, is it understood the physiology in the brain or is it just kind of a, we well, practice, we get better. I mean, it's, it's just like building any other habit, right? Mm -hmm. So we know our research shows that as you build habits, you, your, your brain changes. You have that, we're, we're trying to, to make that permanent, permanent, permanence mm -hmm. in the brain. Um, so you're just, it's just like building up any other habit. You just, it's the practice, which then makes you able to do it for longer periods of time. Is that Super, what you're asking? Kind of. So I guess where I'm coming from, brain neurodegenerative diseases, chronic pain, all that kind of jazz, like it has an inflammatory component. And, um, I think I mentioned this last time we talked, they can look at endurance athletes. And if you give them a cognitive task while they're doing a run or a bike or whatever, they, they tap out of the endurance event sooner because of that brain demand. So it's almost like there's an energy fatigue system of the brain where there's, is it metabolic buildup? Is it inflammatory buildup? Something's happening that the brain's like, okay, we're done. Um, I don't, I was just curious if that happens with just straight is it the exercise component plus the cognition or is it just like cognitive and if it's inflammatory or if it's fatigue, I don't know that that data even exists. I'm just, right. that's where my brain's going. I don't know if you want to come do some studies. <laughs> You're welcome to do that. Um, I think it's, you know, I just think it's like anything else when, when the skills harder for you and you're not fluent at it, it's more exhausting because you're, right. you're putting more energy to it. So once it becomes kind of automatic or effortless, some of the words that we put with fluency, um, you're just able to, to, to do that longer. You practice up to that place. Yeah. The I've, never, piece, I've never thought about it before. Like, why do you get exhausted? Like, what is it? Is it inflammation? Is it metabolic fatigue? Is it Lazy. Like, what is, I wonder what that is. 
I don't know. I mean, I, I think if I'm thinking, uh, you know, like writing my dissertation for hours, I'm I was exhausted after that. Yeah. So right. You hear the you hear the um uh, the like mental geniuses that wear the same outfit every day, so it's one less decision they have to make, right? right? Like right. Less, less decision fatigue. Yep. Yeah. So I know how to build it, so you can build the endurance. <clears throat> the the why I don't know. I was just curious if there's yeah. like science on that or not, because it'd be interesting. You know, again, people are starting to look at it from an endurance athlete's standpoint, it sounds like. And, and this comes from that book, Endure. Um, Alex Hutchinson is the researcher. Um, like, is is the science the same for the endurance athlete? Not the science, the physiology, the same for the endurance athlete as it is the cognition learner side. Um, I don't know, tangent, but I don't know. interesting. I mean, I know they both, they both change your brain, right? They both make changes in there whether they're they're similar changes i don't know yeah yeah just interesting yeah the other piece that we look at is distraction so you think about if you're fluent in a skill you can do it when there's distraction around you my Um, wife would say i'm not fluent in anything (laughs) (laughs) well the example i always like to give is if i ask you to say the alphabet right now Uh and i start singing mary had a little lamb you're going to be able to say the alphabet right Uh like you're fluent in that skill you know it doesn't take much effort if I asked you to say it backwards, and then I start singing Mary Had a Little Lamb, that's going to be a lot more difficult for you. That distraction is going to affect affect your ability to do it because you're not fluent. It's not an mm-hmm. effortless skill that you've practiced and has been reinforced. So we work on that as well. Think about a kid who at home can do the math facts or can do the homework, and then they're in the classroom and they're not able to get it done. And part of that might be if they have all their concentration and they have all the time, yes, I can get this skill done when it's silent, but you're putting me in a, in, in a more realistic environment and this, I'm not fluent enough to do it with all of this distraction. And then they might get frustrated. Um, so a lot of times that are kids that are disfluent, that comes out, you see some behaviors that are often associated with ADHD or behavioral issues. Um, and it's all stemming from just this lack of fluency in these fundamental skills. So typically in our setting, all our sessions are one-on-one. There's a coach and a learner, but they're all in the same room so that we're building up some of that distraction. Now COVID has, you know, made it, um, made that a little bit more difficult, but we still have doors open. We're in separate rooms, but the doors are open. And that's not to say every kid starts there. We do have some learners that just aren't ready for that, need to learn some of the skills of how to learn. Um, or just need to build up a little bit more accuracy before they can start working on that fluency with distraction. But that's another thing that we work on to build that fluency. So you kind of like pump in crowd noise, like the, the football <laughs> team of, yeah. yeah, no, that's again, like I always kind of link it back to some of the stuff we do in, in therapy and rehab, but like dual tasking is a big, you have somebody do a balance task, but then you make them talk to you while they're doing the balance task. And all of a sudden their balance goes, you know, they, they lose their balance. Um, yes, 100%. So, yeah. yeah. I'm at, you know, so I just started CrossFit in October, so I'm a newbie. Um, but one of the coaches will come over and tell me to like focus on one part, right? So like focus on keeping your shoulders down. Then I'm focusing on that and then my knees go in or my, you know, like I'm not fluent in this stuff. So it's, it's hard to put it all together. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think in the fitness side, the, the question becomes, all right, so what things are, are most important to be fluent in, right? Like if I'm going to be a good human, what physical capabilities do I need? If I'm going to be a good CrossFitter, what physical capabilities do I need? And then you can break it out by sport or by like live, you know, whatever. Um, and from a learning standpoint, like what are the things that you like, focus on or what are those fluencies that are that are most important so we start from the bottom so it's um it comes in instructional design kind of comes into this so knowing where to start and then how those skills build so we refer to those basic fundamental prerequisite skills as tool skills so that would be for math that would be reading numbers writing numbers understanding place um place value being able to do like expanded notation and then I would probably move into like addition, subtraction, single digit. So those are our tool skills. Then we have what we all call our component skills, those kind of like building block skills. So you have those tool skills. So I'm fluent in addition and subtraction. I got that. 
Now I can do multi-digit addition and subtraction. So those are our component skills. And then we have our overall composite skills. And the composite skills are like that higher level ultimate goal. So you're talking about a snatch. Being able to do the snatch would be my composite goal or my, yeah, my composite skill. And then mm -hmm. whatever the component skills and those tool skills. So I'm working with Kara because I lost a lot of strength over COVID and all of my tool skills, as far as like core strength, hip mobility, all of that is just shot, right? So she's giving me exercises every week that are those basic tool skills, building up my core, doing some plank, doing some, um, I don't even know what they're called, but moving, you know, building up that, that core and hip mobility. So yep. I would call those, those tool skills. So then I can build onto those, um, higher level skills. And it's the same thing with like that endurance piece, or even once you have these tool skills, I need to know how to do the snatch before I can add the weight. So it's that same kind of, um, progression with academics. So with reading, um, one people don't think about is a lot of younger kids don't understand the difference between a vowel and a consonant. So which letters are vowels and which letters are consonants? Well, the whole way we teach phonics skills is by, if there's an E at the end, the vowel says its name. If there's no E, the vowel says its sound. Two consonants side by side is a blend. Well, if you're looking at the word and you don't know which ones are vowels and which ones are consonants, my role means nothing to you, right? So those component basic skills we need to build up. And then Karen and I had a lot of conversations about writing, right? We have a penmanship where we just start with, can you pinch, right? Can you tap? And you will have these kids who have had goals on their, in, in their education plan that's write their name for four years, they've never mastered it, but nobody's looked to say, well, why haven't they mastered it? Is it because they don't know how to hold a pencil or they don't have the grip, the correct grip, or they don't know how to make correct lines. So it's all of those skills underneath that we're really focusing on before we can build up. Yeah, that that's like, I can relate to that so easily of like, again, if we kind of stick with that, that snatch Olympic weightlifting movement, you got to have the core, you got to have the flexibility to be able to get there, right? You have to be able to the strength to be able to do it, right? Those are kind of that, that tools, as you put it, right? But if I put you in a situation where you have less time, like in a CrossFit workout, or it's combined with something else, now it changes it, or can you maintain that technique when you're tired, right? Like that changes yeah. it. So yeah, that's super interesting to me. And then of course, like you're saying, you break it down of, all right, well, barbell's not getting completely overhead. Well, is it your shoulder? Is it your hip? Is your mid back mobility? Like what are, what is the, the foundational piece or the, the skill set you're missing? So I, I guess I've never thought about it in learning. Um, and I was like, like I was a whatever. I was a good student. Like I didn't have to work that hard during school. Um, I wouldn't say that I had to, to really struggle much with schooling. Um, but you're going through that consonant vowel thing. And I'm like, I would fail this, uh, this, <laughs> yeah, well, a lot I am kids, not fluent. Yeah. A lot of kids were, um, whole word readers where I wasn't taught phonics. That wasn't a thing, even no. though the research for phonics has been around since the seventies. Um, you know, just like all other fields, education doesn't always follow the science. So yeah, I, I had to relearn a lot of that when I started here, but it makes so much more sense when I come to new novel words I've never seen before, you know, I would butcher them because I didn't understand how to spell them out correctly. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a big deal. 80% of, or six, I'm sorry, 60% of third graders in our country are not fluent readers. And wow. that is research That's a big number. government. Yeah. And it's 80% when it comes to kids, um, to cut to, to kids that are in low income homes. Hmm. So it's, it's a huge issue across the board. Is that how like spelling bee, like super spelling bee kids, is that how they're able to do that is just through following rules? I, probably, I mean, there's probably some of the phonics there, but our, our language is so messed up that so many words don't follow our language mm -hmm. is really hard to learn don't yeah. follow the rules so my guess is there's a lot of memorization going on there yeah. that's always just it's just wild to me that yeah like, no i agree <laughs> so now i'm wondering like when i write um you know do more blog posts now and articles and stuff that like you know i probably didn't work on my writing skills for several years like i had college stuff but then 
I didn't really use high level writing. It was all shorthand taking notes. Um, I make a lot of mistakes, like skip words all the time. Uh, my punctuation is terrible. Um, my spelling is horrendous. And, and I wonder, like, you know, as you, as we talk, like how much of that is because there are baseline fundamental skills that I just blow past. Um, well, we have a writing assessment, so I'm happy to check out your fun. <laughs> I'd, I'd fail miserably. I'm sure. Our, our, what so percentage, have- like if you bring an adult in there and you're like, here, take this test. Like the, are you smarter than a fifth grader thing? <laughs> what happens? Um, so we don't, t- I, well, we kind of do that with our coaches, right? So our coaches uh-huh. and everything. So when they come in for an interview, I do a quick fluency, we call fluency checks on some of the skills. I don't expect them to be fluent, but I expect them to be somewhat close, right? <laughs> training is expensive for us to train a coach. It takes me a good two months to get a coach trained up wow. to bear with a kid, not just the fluency checks, but we collect data on every single timing and we're charting it on a chart. So you have to be able to be fluent in charting and talking and teaching and all of the things that go in a session. Um, so it, it really depends. So my interns are from John Carroll and I would say, I think almost all of them were totally fluent in math. They blew me out of the water. Wow. They sat down and they knew it. They're also a lot closer to college than I am. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so the the phonics rules, it depends on the learner. It depends on the on the adult learner, um, if they got phonics instruction as a kid or not. And then we have a logic curriculum that is all the prereq skills you need for comprehension. So understanding what people are saying to you, expressing yourself, um, mm. reading comprehension, and then it's our expressive writing. And that's where that executive functioning comes in. So that's our logic. And that is really interesting because people are all over the board. I love logic. It was what I did my dissertation on. It's my favorite program, but I have a couple coaches who are great at the math, but they don't, they're not so interested in the logic. So it just kind of depends where everyone is, but we're able to train them up pretty quick because we know how to teach, right? So we teach our coaches the exact same way we teach our learners. So like you see that in personalities, right? Like do you think your your math people become engineers and science people and your logic people become people facing professions? There might be some of that. Yeah. Yeah. I just cur- I, yeah. I, home, I, I would hope that I'm good at the logic. I would hope that I'm good at the logic side, but I think I would be miserable at the writing and the math side. Well, yes. So the logic with the writing, it's more the creative writing piece. Mm-hmm. We have a grammar piece as well, but so our logic curriculum starts with describing, um, comparing, contrasting, sequencing, general and specific. So some of those real basic skills that then you need to become a, a great writer. So yeah, it, it, there's some creativity in there. So when I say similarities, I'll give you two items. And I want you to tell me how they're similar for 15 seconds. So I want like 20 different ways that they're similar. So people can often say, if I say cat and dog, they can say they're both animals, they're both pets, right? But we're looking beyond that into, you know, where you could find them, what you could find them with, what they might be doing and and expanding that repertoire so that you have a more cohesive vocabulary and connections when you go into your writing. I love that. Does that, do people do that in school? I don't think I've ever done. No, typically the things that we teach in logic are only directly taught in school. Sometimes if a student has like a speech and language disorder on that language piece, mm-hmm. sometimes they'll get that. I mean, I think comparing, contrasting and general and specific might be hit on, but not in the way that, that we're, we're that you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at some, at some point, right, that stuff becomes more important. I, I think, I mean, again, I'm not an expert on education, but like making those executive decisions, you know, my whole career is, I shouldn't say this, but there's a part of it that's pattern recognition, right? Like person walks in with this type of pain, it moves in this direction. You do this, it gets better. This is what you're going to do next, right? Like you kind of, that's the whole, it's the whole decision-making process. Um, and we're supposed to use all these tests that 
rely aren't reliable anyway uh so right it becomes it does become some pattern recognition of making those thick um and some problem solving right so you're oh for sure it's a yeah yeah That's you're going fun. through that whole puzzle of you know yeah so this, we'll does have, this does that i'll have a, a a learner come in the parent says just do it all and then give me a recommendation so i'll t i'll look i'll do an assessment for reading math and logic and I often start with logic, even if there's some deficits hmm. in other areas, because you need to understand categories, right? So you have to understand that vowels and consonants are different in order to learn that rule. You need categories and comparing and contrasting and temporal relations and spatial relations. So above, but below, next to, right, left, in front, bigger, smaller for math. So we often see that if we do a logic enrollment first, we can reduce the amount of time it takes to increase in math. And so in across the board, we make a year's growth in 50 hours of instruction. We've replicated that, FIT has replicated that for over 20 years across all the labs. We're very consistent. My average is actually a little bit higher than a year. We get about two years growth in 50 hours. Wow. And that's really easy to measure with reading and math because there's assessments we can use that are standardized that schools use. With logic, it's a little different, but what we've seen is on the reading comprehension measures, we're getting a year's growth just from a logic enrollment, not even working on the, the fundamental reading, just working on that comprehension piece. That's wow. part of why it's my favorite. It hits everything. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the skeptical side of me goes in 10 years, like those basic things are gonna be at your fingertips right? Like my math skills are bad now because I don't even think anymore. I just go to my phone, right? Like yep. I'm not using those skills ever anymore. Um, and so at what point does that become the norm where you just always have technology, right? So do you think, I probably shouldn't even ask you this, but do you think that that is going to ruin society? <laughs> no, because that's math. Right, so you're still, um, and even with your calculator, it's a lot faster to just know two plus two mm -hmm. is four, right, than to put it into your calculator. Put in, it in until the calculator. Elon implants that thing in your brain and it's just there, because <laughs> right. it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. I mean, so we have, we have all sorts of different learners. Our learners, we have some that have disabilities or diagnosed with some sort of disability. We have learners that are just a little behind um, because they missed some instruction or didn't have good instruction. And then we have students that are gifted and parents are looking for them to be accelerated. So we have a learner right now that we're starting like PSAT stuff with. And as she gets into like the really complicated math, we'll, we'll let her use the calculator because it just makes more sense. But she mm -hmm. could 100% do it without it. Um, with Interesting. That. Yeah. yeah. What percentage of your students are people that are Again, kind of got left behind that progression of grades and you're trying to catch them up versus accelerate? Oh, probably 60% is behind, if not more, okay. 70 percent And mm -hmm. then even we have what schools would call twice exceptional. Um, I don't love labels in general, but that they have a higher IQ. So they're identified gifted, but they're behind in math or reading. And it's the same reason that our other kids are behind in math or reading. They just didn't get the appropriate instruction to build those skills. And um, so we, I've never had a learner that didn't progress. Like kids progress at different rates, right? Mm -hmm. But all of our kids are progressing because the way they learn is the same as far as repeated pra deliberate practice then being reinforced. Um, the skills they have to work on and the chunks that we can work on at a time might be different, but everybody learns learns in the same way. It almost sounds to me like performance strength coaching for education. There you right? go. Like you can I'll go to your by the marketing department. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you got exactly. gym class. Yeah. You got gym class, you go to gym class, you do your basic skills and you kind of whatever. But like if you want to be good, like that's not enough. You know, you gotta right. Cognitive learn, fitness, you know. where that's what we're yeah. building. So yeah. all our learners come four to five days a week. That's a requirement. I won't let them come less than that because you want to be practicing more days than you're not. So you'd never mm -hmm. just go to CrossFit one day a week and expect to get stronger. You'll um, get hurt is what you'll get. Right, right. <laughs> or like 
you can't <laughs> practice your violin one day a week and accept to get better. You don't have right. soccer practice one day a week. So it's that, it's that same idea with academics. So and explain it that way, parents are on board and they get flexible with how to get the kids here. Um, you know, we do hybrid. So we have some kids that come in twice a week and then are online twice a week. We have some kids that are all online, but we are practicing these skills with them four days a week minimum. Have you seen a change in the things that you're seeing with technology? Um, I have another client who's a researcher and, and looking at little, little kids, but we were chatting one day and she was saying that kids are losing handwriting skills because they're all on tablets and they're typing. Um, are, are you seeing, are you seeing differences or is that just kind of always been part of what you've been around? I haven't even seen it just with COVID with the handwriting. Um, hmm. So we do, so we teach in different sensory modalities and we talk about them as learning channels. So if they see the problem for math and they're writing the answer, that's a C write. They see it, they write it. And then we also teach as a hearsay. So they hear the problem and they say the answer. So we're teaching just hitting all those different ways so that you're fluent. Um, but I have seen kids getting tired quicker on the C rights and C write typically is easier. The, the aim is lower. Um, and I'm seeing kids get fluent in hearsay before they get fluent in C write. And I actually just got two emails this week about parents wanting penmanship this summer because the kids are now back in school and having to write. So I do think, and again, it's, they was never taught to fluency. So not doing it for a few months is, is, is going to affect that skill. Yeah. So I, you know, every time you kind of say something like, Oh, that makes sense. Like um, <laughs> we were, we were doing stupid, like health insurance stuff, right? Cause health insurance is annoying. And so we had a baby and we get all these bills and they build it in the wrong tier and it was all over the place. So my wife's like talking me through this phone call she had of, okay, so it was this number, it was this amount. And then they charge it at this, but it's supposed to be this. And, and like, it was two seconds in, and I was like, I need to see it. Like, I, I can't, like, I don't do well with that. I have to have the visual piece of it. Um, and I've always known that about myself. I just assumed it was the way I was built, but like that is something I should have trained probably as a younger child. Yep. Oh, that's a whole, today. a whole nother box. Um, so there's something called learning styles and right. there are people that have built curriculums on learning styles and mm -hmm. assessments on learning styles. What the research shows is learning styles are not a thing. You're better at the one that has been reinforced, right? So you're not born with an innate ability to be better at a C write than a, or a visual learner or an auditory learner, mm -hmm. you're better because that's what you've been trained to be better at. Um, so our goal would be like, if I see a kid is really strong at C write, but not so strong at hearsay, I'm not going to just be like, all right, well, forget about hearsay. We'll just train them this way. I'm going to say, no, we're going to train hearsay more, right? Cause you need mm -hmm. to be in both of those, both being able to do it both ways. Yeah. And so I'm going to just get worse because I'm going to like my conversation with my wife, like, let me see the number, like pull up the app. Let me see it. Right. Like I needed, I didn't even want to play the game. Um, right. which is what we say about like posture and weaknesses. Like, Oh, if your hips weak, if you don't work on it, you're just going to keep adapting away from it and it's going to not get weaker, but well, maybe it will, but you're going to just avoid it. Right. So it's the problem's going to perpetuate or get worse. And yeah, so is the same thing going to happen to me? Like when I'm older, I'm going to be <laughs> all, right. all work. Yeah. Do you I have mean, an adult uh, program? <laughs> you do work with adults. Absolutely. Um, but you think about that with like, sometimes in education, we over accommodate kids. So we're like, oh, they're a visual learner. So we're going to provide them with um, a visual of every lecture instead of, Interesting. or, oh, they're, you know, we're going to give them voice to text or speech to text. instead of teaching them the skills that they're lacking, we're just going to accommodate, accommodate, accommodate. And then these poor kids get in the real world where those accommodations aren't there and they have a, a hard time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really important that yes, you might be a visual learner and that you prefer that method, but that means that we should also be building up that, that channel that's harder for you. Yeah. So that's so cool. Um, and, and we kind of like, I think that's going to be the trend in the fitness right now. Like 
people hurt their backs when they're they're flexed and rotated. So if you're going to bend and pick something off the floor and you have to twist, that's where your back gets hurt typically, right? And we know that. So in exercise in the gym, we avoid that position, right? Never flex your spine. No exercises where your spine's bent. Let's never flex. Let's never flex. Well, the real world happens and your spine has to flex and then you're in trouble right. because you don't know how to do it. So it's like we've taken the training and we've taken all the scary positions away, the things that are harder or more challenging. And like, it's almost like we're making ourselves softer. And, and as a PT, I'm guilty of it, right? Like <clears throat> there was a point in my career where I'm like, hey, don't, you know, let's keep the spine straight, stiff, never flex, uh, you know, keep the knees back. Don't let the knees go too far forward. Don't let it go to the inside. And now I'm like, hmm, why don't we train this in a controlled environment? Because it's going to happen. Like your knee's going to end up in, your back's going to end up flexed. Like let's train these bad spots. And when I'm hearing you talk about this learning piece, it just sounds the same to me. Like, yeah. all right, I get that you're better at this and that's great, but <laughs> let's train what you're not, you know? Right. Yep. That's funny because yeah. I, I hurt my back uh, Christmas Eve workout, just being dumb and thinking I could do more weight than I could. And so even though I know all this, <laughs> it's harder to apply it, right? Especially yeah. if it's not your area specialty. So I asked Carol, like, should I stop working out? She's like, well, no, still come, just do these modified versions. So exactly what you're talking about. My first instinct was like, just don't do any of it as opposed to, yeah, continuing it, just making sure you're doing it the right way. Well, you will get people that tell you to just don't do, right? Like, and, and I, so I always couch it to my clients is you got two choices, right? Like if it hurts to bend your back, you could just never do it again. And it probably won't hurt again. Just never do it. But who can live like that? Right. So your other choice is train to be good at it. Right. So be controlled, be intentional, be deliberate about how you do it. But let's train that position and get so strong at that position that anything in the real world's fine. Right. Like that's the idea. I got to pick something off the floor. I shouldn't have to think. Right. That's every answer for, I'm like, am I foot's cramping? What should I, she's like, just get your foot stronger. You know, get your core stronger. Get your, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, to, to some degree, right? And I'm sure it's the, the same in your world, but there's so many variables to that. But I think the concept of, you know, training your weak spots is is very similar. Like develop, you know, develop the, the stuff you're not good at. Right. Yeah, the science is out there. We're just... Our school systems are just really far behind in in applying them, so that's kind of our mission to hope hope to change that. Yeah, Do you, I mean, like I look at the medical system and and PTs, and you're like, well, I went to PT and I didn't get this. Why? Like, they're in a system where it's just not possible, right? They're seeing too many people at once. Everything's moving too fast. They don't have enough time. Like, it's not it's not the person's fault. It's just the system. 100%, 100% not teacher's fault. Teachers are not trained in the behavioral science. They don't have, they maybe get one course in our science and it's usually um, focused on like addressing challenging behavior or classroom management. Mm -hmm. um, they're not, yeah, the university systems are not training it. There's a huge divide in many universities between the general education and the special education and teaching differently. And then philosophies are different. Um, and then also the, the resources in the classroom and the support just aren't there. Now, that's not to say you, we can't do better in groups, 100%. What we do, we can apply in groups. Active mm -hmm. responding, teacher talking less, student talking more. Um, we can work on building that fluency. That doesn't have to be a one-on-one -on -one thing, practicing those skills. And then the whole moving up grade levels, you know, being mastery-based as opposed to just moving kids. And there are some schools that are doing that. Um, so our school systems can definitely get better, but I 100% am not blaming teachers. Teachers are saints. Um, they just don't have the training and the support that they need. And yeah, that's, that's why I think the turnover rate for teachers in the first two years is just, it's outrageous. And it's because they get there and they realize that they don't have the training and the support that they need to do that job. Yeah. It's gotta be near impossible. Mm -hmm. um, and the logistics of right? Like some of it's a logistics game of, okay, next grade, you're on this schedule. This is your new class schedule. This is the bus. This is the, right? Like it'd be interesting to see, could you, all right, look in, in English, you 
you know, you've passed this skill set, you moved to this in reading, you've done this, but in math, hey, we're gonna, you know, um, yeah, and there's the logistics math. of doing that's got to be a nightmare. Maybe, but um, there's people, places doing it for sure. At yeah. scale, like big, big schools, like mm-hmm. yeah, there's states doing it. Yeah. Oh um, really? Yeah. Where? I knew you were gonna ask me that. I'd have to look. I it had up, to, right? But, yeah. Um, Ohio's supposed to be getting away from like giving grades and just moving to a mastery based system. Like you have to master these skills. Now, when I say master in the school district, they're not doing rate yet. They're doing Mm -hmm. accuracy, which is just half of being fluent, right? You have to be able to do it at a rate that's optimal for that skill. Um, but they're at least going towards that (laughs) and at least looking at the accuracy. So but there are get a- schools that use our science. Um, so I'm a behavior analyst and then applied behavior analysis is a, it's a science, it's an umbrella. And under it, there's you know obviously different areas. So our focus is called precision teaching. And that's the science of using the chart that we use and then using that rate-based um, instruction. So there are schools that do it. That's interesting. Interesting. So when you say they're getting away from a grade-based system, it'll be like pass-fail kind of a thing yeah, to move. So you've mastered the skill or you haven't mastered the skill. And again, I'm using mastery the way they use it mm-hmm. loosely, but yes, yes, that's kind of, that's the goal. That's the idea. That's There's a, there is a general consensus that that's the best way. It's just figuring out, like you said, the logistics of getting schools. How to do you, that. how do you move people through and, and how do they progress? Um, <clears throat> That makes sense to, you know, when you look at the ABCD thing, right? It's, you, I don't know, as a student, you're like, well, how hard do I want to work to get the grade, right? Like, and then once you're a level, what's the incentive to do more, right? Like there's, there's interesting little dynamic, like you're almost training. It reminds me of a salaried job, right? Like you pick which grade you want or what salary chain you need how do I do the least amount of work to accomplish that goal? Right? Like that's almost how we're training our students in my mind. Um, You know, I, again, the school wasn't terrible for me, but Spanish was always like, I had to work a little bit at Spanish and um, all the way through high school, I got B's in Spanish. And my mom's like, well, if you just got an A, you'd have a four O like, I know, but I don't want to. (laughs) What, What you're talking about, we call behavioral ceiling. So we're putting a ceiling on what they yeah. do. So if you're only looking at accuracy, exactly. Well, I got that A, there's nothing else I can do. Well, if you're looking at rates, there is something more you can do, right? So when mm-hmm. we're doing math facts or reading or whatever, we have twice the number of words or facts on that sheet that they're going to be able to get through in that time. So we're not hit, making that behavioral ceiling. It's called free operant. We're letting them get in as many responses as they Wherever can. they can get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. which is which is how you'd hope right the rest of life kind of goes right you kind of keep working you know you're not sealing you know putting ceilings on yourself um right yeah that's an interesting that's an interesting little twist to that whole like kind of at a, at a macro scale of hey what are we you know what are we training kids to do and, and as they it almost seems like you're setting them up to be employees right is kind of how i feel you know looking back at it um that's an interesting thing. That's an interesting thing. Um, <clears throat> the other piece kind of changing topics, not so gracefully, but <laughs> I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the neuroplasticity side as, as we kind of wrap up, because, you know, in, in pain science, motor learning, the changing the brain, the plasticity of the brain is, is certainly an important piece. How do you think that fits into to what you guys are doing? Exactly the same. Yeah. So there is research that shows that building habits, right? So that's what we're doing is we're building these academic habits um, can, can change, change the makeup of the brain. So have you heard of the stu- about the study of the taxi drivers in London, I believe? No. So they have to have, they have to memorize the, the map of the streets. They have to know, they have to have memorizers, like a test they take. And there's actually, they did, they did a study that showed as they learn this information and they memorize it, their brains change. There's like a section of their brain that gets bigger. So we know that learning affects the brain. And, you know, there's research also that shows 
that behavioral interventions can be just as successful in some cases as medication. And it's having that same change in the brain, whether you're giving behavioral interventions or you're doing medication or like a combination. So yeah, we're, we're changing the brain with, with building those behavioral habits. Yeah. I definitely want to know the physiology of it now. Like I can give you some resources that might, I'd, I'd, I'd love yeah. to dive into that a little bit because it'd be, you know, again, trying to link that cognitive uh, training versus physical training. Like we know exercise does similar things, right? People with chronic pain, um, we can see, you know, plastic changes in the brain uh, seems to include some type of like, there's got to be a little extra stimulus to it, like a cognitive stimulus or a stress scenario to it. Um, but there's ways to do it with exercise. So, yeah, I wonder what is, what is the physiology in the background of that? And then how do we maximize it? Because I'm sure there's also a fatigue component, right? The same, do you have to fatigue it to make it happen? Um, can you train the endurance to last longer? Like those kinds of questions. I'm, I'm, you know, if I want a muscle to adapt, it's, I got to fatigue it enough that I create uh, stress, right? I got to get enough into that stress is learning the same way. Do you have to stress it enough to make it happen? I, I, I want to say yes, but I, I mean, the kids aren't walking out of here exhausted. Like, oh, sweaty, yeah, yeah. Right? Right. So, no, yeah. Um, but yeah, you do have to like shape that behavior and, and, and make it incrementally longer so that they get to where we want them to be for optimal performance. Is it dosed? Like, um, <clears throat> Like if I'm going to give somebody a, a couch to 5k program, right? Like you increase your mileage by 10% each week 100%. is yours dosed as well. Yep. Yep. So we call Long it shaping. Into- same thing. Um, yeah. So we'll start, if we have math facts, we'll start at 15 seconds. And then once they hit the aim for 15 seconds, then we do 30 seconds. And then once they hit the aim for 30 seconds, we move to a minute and then to pass the program, they have to do it at a minute. Um, that's math facts. And that's, the prescribed way, every kid is a little bit different. So if we have a kid who has a lot of attention issues, we might do 10 seconds, right? And then build up from there. Um, we change the dose. Like, so we might just be working, we work on what we call fact families. So it's just like the group of facts that we're working on. Some kids, we do three fact families at a time. Some we do six fact families at a time, but, and then we like increase from there. So everything we do is, is, it's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Very interesting. Can you overtrain? You mean like too often or to the skill to again, I'm just kind of linking the endurance stuff, but like if I progress somebody too fast, things start um, to like resting heart rate gets worse. They don't sleep yeah. as well. They, you know, you can you I can wreck yeah. the system a little bit. Neuro I don't fatigue. know about it that way, but what we sometimes see is kids want to go fast. And so then their accuracy drops, right? Mm-hmm. They're making more errors. So we slow them down and we work on the accuracy. You have to, we don't do, we call that skill of the timing and doing the problems frequency building. You can't frequency build with a skill that you don't know, right? So we teach the skill, we build accuracy and then we build the fluency and the rate piece. So there are times where we'll see the kid just want to go fast right away. And then we have to slow them down and they're reinforced for um, corrects as opposed to how many they get done. And then we build up that, that rate. So we see a little bit of that. Yeah. And if we jump too far and because we're collecting data and every single timing, we'll know within one or two timings that that was too much of a jump and we'll, we call it a slice back. So we'll come back to, you know, where they need to be. So that's, what's nice about it all being one-on-one is everything is individualized and our coaches are trained to make those decisions during every session, which is why we get such great progress. Yeah. It's, it's linear programming and weightlifting. You build, yeah. build, 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 build. If they overtrain, you cut back to, and then you build it back through. And, um, it's literally the same it's, uh, I shouldn't say, but it seems very similar to, to how you would literally train somebody in a weightlifting program. Yeah. It all comes to instructional design and, mm-hmm. and um, just different fields and Pretty again, wild. is just, just behind. They're just yep. behind. <laughs> and I'm sure if you asked Aaron and Kara that, uh, speed increase or see accuracy fails with increased speed, you would, you would find oh, that yeah. in CrossFit. I too. know it. <laughs> <laughs> I did the, the 
the open workout this morning. I know it. Yeah. How'd that go? How'd that go? Oh God, two minutes in, I'm like, man, I started, my pace was way too fast to start. Yeah. 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 yeah I've yeah. had some fun conversations with Aaron about like the similarities between, you know, what we do and yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, when Kara, when Kara first like kind of messaged me and she's like, we're going to talk about fit learning. And I'm like, how does this link? Like, what, are, how are we going to do this? And then like, the more we get into this, like, it's the same thing. Like, it's very, like the learning setup. And, and it's interesting to hear the programming side. Of course, I've never thought about it from an education standpoint, but that's really, that's really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, all behaviors learn the same way by practice mm -hmm. and reinforcement. So whether that's challenging behavior we don't want to see from our children, right? Or if it's a sport or um, a musical instrument, how we interact with our spouses, it's all the same. It's built on, you know, the behavior that's practiced and the behavior that's reinforced. So that. yeah, it's a cool way to kind of look at the world once you're, once you're in our science. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Is it a use it or lose it thing too? What do you mean? Uh, like in fitness, if you don't back squat for a while, your back squat's going to suck. Oh. You know, you come back to it a month later. Yeah. Um, I do you know, see that with your students. No, because we're training to that fluent level. And part of fluency is you never lose it. Right. So like think about riding a bike. If you haven't ridden a bike in five years, you can probably still jump on the bike and ride it. Um, so we don't see that summer slide where kids lose. I mean, if, they were, if schools were teaching this way, they wouldn't have to spend August and September reviewing everything from last year. There's so much learning time loss based on that reviewing. Mm -hmm. So no, our kids keep up those skills and then they use them as they, as they progress. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I always say weightlifting, like there's certain things that you feel like you can always kind of get away. Like once you've trained to a certain level, you can still kind of do. Um, but then there's some, like the specialty stuff falls off quick, you know, and, and probably because you're not fluent at the the specialty stuff, right? Like you can do it, but you're not real good at, it. you know, you're, you're, you're right. You know? Right. Yeah. You know, you never kind of became fluent. Yeah. And then there's also obviously the strength aspect in, sure. in fitness that we don't necessarily have that piece. But a lot of that's brain. Like mm -hmm. a lot of the strength aspects are neural, like the timing of activating which muscle fibers, how coordinated those muscle fibers are in timing. Um, some of it's just pure size and force, but most or a lot is neural and in, in timing the muscle contraction, right? Because there's always some muscle fiber in reserve. It's what your brain will let you use. Um, so I think the strength training piece is, is such a, a learning skill, which is probably why we see so many similarities. I'm, I'm pretty fascinated by it. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Well, hey, that was this was fun. Um, we're coming up on that that hour mark, I guess. Um, I usually like to wrap up with what do you think you're going to be most into next year? Like things you're looking forward to learning more about or things that you're kind of maybe seeing in the profession on the horizon or, or what you want to see? Well, you've gotten me, given me some things to think about when it comes to the physiology and that piece of it. Um, I am really hoping so we have this down literally to a science. We call the science at fit. We make awesome progress with our kids, but we're only hitting like this much of the kids out there, right? So part of FIT's overall mission is to change education across the world. So I'm hoping to get into some schools and start doing some training to help train staff in either our method or at least pieces of it like just the fluency building if they would just start giving kids more practice you know that that would make a difference so that's kind of on the horizon for me um yeah and just being able to to hit more kids and to be able to get our science out there with that in that that mission in mind and and i think i i struggle with that as well right like if i got my hands on somebody and i'm coaching them one-on-one -on -one, like we make improvements but you know, what number of people am I going to see in my career, right? Like, you know, how many people can you can you reach in that sense? And I think digital helps. But anyway, with that in mind, what are things that parents could do at home? Like, you know, you got the teacher side of it. But what about parents? Like, you know, I got a couple of little ones at home, what are things that that you could be doing that are simple that, that maybe somebody listening could do at home? 
Um, so short incremental practice, right? So setting that um, timer and doing your flashcards for 30 seconds. And then part of what makes our program so reinforcing and that kids really enjoy it is they earn points. So when they get a personal best, meaning let's say we do 15 second timing, they get eight problems. We do it again, they get nine problems. That's the most they've ever gotten. They get points for that. They earn points. Um, and here, I'll show you, we have these clickers. So it's like an AMRAP for yeah. box cards? <laughs> Many reps as you so can get? They count, we count all responses on these. I have a silent one, so, mm -hmm. but as the kid's responding, I'm counting. And then they have one where they count their points. So they get a personal best, they earn 10 points and they count 10. And so our goal is 10 personal bests a session. And then we have a prize wall that they use their points to buy things off of. Um, so that's one way, that is a, a big buy-in when kids first start with us because they have low confidence. Um, they don't like math or they don't like reading because they haven't been successful in it. But because we're collecting data on everything, they start to get that internal motivation where they want to beat their score. So yesterday I had a, a little guy who just started with us who got a personal best and went, yes. <laughs> so, and they start to see that they're getting better and their confidence grows and their progress grows. Um, so that data piece is huge. So if you're just doing flashcards for 30 seconds, it's like, okay, you got, you got five that time. Awesome. Let's try for six. Let's try for seven. But remember, it has to be a skill that they're somewhat accurate at. Mm -hmm. um, errors are okay, but we don't want to train disfluency. So we don't want to train something that they're getting a bunch of errors. So that piece, um, timers are the best thing that were ever created. You know, we use that when I do parent training, we use them for screen time, you know, um, it's much easier to say the timer said the time's up instead of saying mom or dad saying the time's up. We use timers for 10 minutes of homework and then a 10 minute break and then five minutes of homework and then a five minute break or any of those pieces. So I can't recommend getting a timer yeah. more. It's the, the best tool out there. Again, it just sounds like, you know, uh, different, different exercise program like Minute on, minute off, minute on, minute off, yeah. two on, two yeah. off, right? That's all yeah. kind of the same. Same thing. Yeah. Yep. You're building that, building that skill up. And then you're gamifying it too, right? Which we're seeing in, in like those targets, those goals, the gamification yeah. of, of learn. That's interesting that you brought that up. Yeah. And just the reinforcement, like at the verbal praise when they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, like it's so underestimated how influential that is. Um, kids will do anything for attention, regardless if it's positive or negative. So when they're doing what you want them to be doing, giving lots of positive praise specific, I love how you picked up that toy. Now, no one's going to trip over it or all of those pieces. Um, and it makes it a lot easier to, to manage and ignore when the behavior isn't what you want it to be. Um, but yeah, all that, that, so we, we do both, we do the verbal praise and then we do the points. And then, you know, I have a kid who's at 10,000 points because they're just not as motivating to him anymore. What is motivating to him is seeing his progress and knowing that, you know, he's, he's moved up two grade levels. Yeah. Yeah. How, how young can you start? Three. Three. So that. I'm about to go tie my two and a half year old daughter on some flashcards. <laughs> we started start implementing our science when they're you know basically about two right because yeah. before that you have to attend to them when they cry so um yeah two is kind of when you can start yeah. start changing that up yeah. but yeah we, we our services start at three and those aren't typically kids that are behind they're just kids that the parent wants a little boost of getting them ready for school yeah yeah what is the age range um you know as we wrap up what are the age ranges that you guys work with who is your like your population like who should go to your website and check out more any parent um <laughs> but we start like i said we started three wheels um and that is a lot of like learning to learn so sitting following directions and then we get into all the pre-academic skills for that one and then you, we you cut out you cut out on the zoom feed i don't know how it's going to record um you what age did you say you start at we start at three with the Little Fits program, which okay. is school readiness through the end of first grade. And some of that is how to learn. So how to sit, how to follow directions, those pieces, and then all the academic skills. And then we go, honestly, we would go through adult. Our program works for adults. 
Um, but we, we have high schoolers right now, our oldest. And then the majority of our students are behind a little bit. So not necessarily have a diagnosis of any sort or special education services, but they're behind their peers academically. And so the parents looking to catch them up. We do have students that have learning disabilities. We have students that um, have autism. And then we have students that are identified gifted. We have that range, but I would say the majority are, are looking, are a little behind and looking for that to be caught up. And then we'll, we'll link everything, but for people listening, where, where do you, where do they find out more? Our website, it's, if you just Google Fit Learning Cleveland, you'll find our website, our Google page. Um, if you're listening and you're not in Cleveland, Fit Learning, I think it's just .com um, is the, the national site for other centers, but we do remote. So I have learners in Arizona. I have learners in Kentucky. Um, yeah, so we're, we're kind of all over the place. I would say half my learners right now are online. Very cool. Very cool. And for anybody local, you're in Beechwood, correct? I'm in Pepper Pike. Pepper Pike. Yep. Looking at um, a Westlake location within the next six months Uh-oh. to a year, hopefully. That's exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Right next to the CrossFit gym. Like, yeah, it's like closer to the gym. Double book them. Aaron and I are already thinking about how we could how we could connect kid prospect classes or he's the best at like he's so good at that like pulling in people and kind of building those i mean he is very good at that um the community yes yes he is very good and and maximizing people's skill sets so that like his his community gets a little taste of all of it is is um you know i i met him recently through kara and like he is just so good at that mm-hmm. yeah it's a yeah. special place i'm like i'm lucky yeah. to be part of that community yeah he's done a great job there all right well hey this was fun um anything else you want to leave and otherwise we'll wrap it up i don't think so i'm all set all right Corinne, that was great thank you and uh yeah guys check it out thanks for watching and supporting the channel we hope you enjoyed this week's episode let us know in the comments below what you liked what you disliked what you'd like to hear more of and any questions we can help answer we appreciate your support and we look forward to seeing you on the next one